Welcome to the Restoration Church weekly podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to download the Church Center app. This is the best way to stay connected and up to date with all that's happening at Restoration Church. Most importantly, we hope the following message will help draw you closer to Christ. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. I'm going to uh, continue our sermon series looking at the fact that Jesus is for grown-ups too and looking at the life and ministry of Jesus. So we're trying to use this series to connect some dots. Maybe we've heard some bits and pieces about who Jesus is. Maybe we've heard some highlights about things that Jesus did. But we want to connect all those things and learn more about him and learn more about uh, his example uh, for us. And in this, we find both encouragement and and challenge uh, from Jesus. So what does the Bible actually teach us? For example, does it say that as soon as everyone heard what Jesus had to say, they immediately followed him and loved everything about him? Uh, No, of course not. And so over and over again, we find two groups of people in particular that were in conflict with Jesus, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And that's why they were so sad. That's a Bible joke. Uh, They were the so-called religious experts of Jesus' day. And so they've appeared in other stories that we've talked about, uh, but today we want to highlight in particular one conflict that they had with Jesus and to see what happened uh, when these self-made experts uh, were in conflict with the Son of God. So our reading from today is from Matthew 12. And there's two things in particular that we want to focus on this morning. The first is seeing how Jesus handles conflict. Uh, and especially those that opposed him the most. And I get it. You know, Jesus is perfect, and we are not. Uh, Jesus never had to deal with the people that get under our skin. But still, there's things that we can learn from him. And the attitude and perspective of these religious leaders is another point uh, that we want to focus on. And it's so easy for us when we read this story to cheer on Jesus and go, you go get those guys, go get those awful Pharisees. But we need to insert ourselves in their sandals to avoid approaching Jesus in the way that they did. So we're going to begin reading now uh, from Matthew 12. It says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Well, we've officially entered the no-fun zone. Uh, The Pharisees have showed up on the scene. But if you'll bear with me for a few minutes, I want to go through exactly who the Pharisees are and why they have so much conflict with Jesus. The first thing to understand is that these guys have no actual power. Their spiritual authority does not come from God. Uh, It comes from the fact that they've created a system of oppression uh, against the people of Israel. And I think that we see this over and over again in their story. They're looking to uh, put people under their thumb. And we know from history that they created over 640 laws on top of God's laws, um, which were not even in Scripture at all, but they used these to keep the people under their thumb and keep them uh, submissive to them. We also see that they were, they were afraid. Uh, there's a lot of fear involved in this. They were afraid that if people found out that their religious system was a scam, well, now they've now the game's up. Uh, now they're exposed, and so they they sought to do everything they could to keep their system contained, uh, to keep the people, uh, like I said, under their thumb, 
and they were trying to do the same thing with Jesus. They wanted to force Jesus into their box, to force Jesus to submit to their system, because the more people kept hearing from him and listening to him and following him, well, now that's less and less people that are following them, um, and they, they were not okay with that. And so we're going to have some fun with this a little bit, and we're going to see how over the top uh, these guys are. And, <clears throat> excuse me. So the first thing that we want to look at comes from John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40. So Jesus is talking to them in another conflict that he had, and he said, you, you guys study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So they, they love to show off how pious they are, especially when it comes to their study of Scripture. And so they've read it day and night, supposedly. And with all this study, you would think that they would be the first in line to go, hey, we know who Jesus is. We can identify that he's the Son of God, he's the Messiah. You would hope, you would think that they would be first in line to do that. But they are definitely not. Because to humble themselves and admit this is untenable for them. They're not willing to, like I said, give up their power and control and so, therefore, they do everything they can to resist Jesus and cause problems for him. And we see from other parts of Scripture that more than just opposing him to his face, they would also engage in propaganda among the people to convince them that Jesus was a, a heretic and a false teacher. So, again, they were pulling out all the stops to try to prevent Jesus' ministry from growing. And so this proves that there's a difference between knowing information about God and truly having a relationship with him. And Jesus, again, in Luke 11, another example, he says this to them. Woe to the Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. So get this. They were so outwardly pious that they would tithe from their spice rack. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty devoted uh, to your system. But here's the problem. They can tie their spices, but they can't love their neighbors. They're incapable of understanding or demonstrating grace among themselves or to the people. They would rather spiritually oppress their community than to actually love God and love others. But that's okay in their mind because at least they're bringing their very best spices to the collection box. And for a group of men that claim to be so devoted to God, they spend all their time judging that they don't have enough time left in the day to actually serve and lead their people the way they were called to. And so my point in sharing all of this is to say that this is what Jesus has been dealing with. Not just in this one singular story, but this is the opposition that Jesus has been dealing with throughout his ministry up to this point. And so again, they've, they've obstructed Jesus at every turn. And so to repent and believe the gospel would be very costly for them. They'd have to admit that Jesus is teaching uh, proper, uh, proper and correct things, that he has the authority as the Messiah. And that would force them to give up their authority, and they can't do that. They're not willing to. And that's why they have nothing better to do than to monitor the local grain fields just waiting for someone to commit work on the Sabbath by daring to snack on some grain. Because in their minds, apparently, it's more holy to go hungry than to have a snack. But really, in this story, the grain is not really the issue. The grain is not the problem. The grain, the grain field is simply the location of where this took place, because their main issue is that Jesus is not following the rules. And now, if you and I are Jesus in this situation, 
Again, this is not the first time this conflict has happened. These guys have been dogging you over and over and over again. Wouldn't we be tempted to be, shall we say, uh, demonstrative in our response and tell them how we really feel? (laughs) Well, we're going to see in a moment how Jesus responds to them. And so many of us have probably heard of the fight or flight uh, response to conflict, but Jesus is going to model a middle ground between those two options. So in verse 3, we pick up with this. He says, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priest. Or haven't you read in the law the priest on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple was here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not condemn the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus' method of dealing with this conflict is to stand firm in his convictions. He's not going to start abiding by the rules. He doesn't get down and beg and say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'll I'll follow your rules from this day forward. He doesn't do that. But he's not also going to get in their face and and put his his, uh, finger in their face and and have a fight with them. He's going to keep pointing them back to the very same scriptures they claim to study day and night. He's going to keep pointing them back when he says, haven't you read? Have you know, did you notice he said that more than once? Haven't you read? Don't you know this already? Am I reminding you again of something that you should already know? And so I, I highlighted those passages from John and Luke because this is a callback to these previous conversations that he's already had. So all the more reason for him to say, don't you know? Haven't you heard? Haven't we had this conversation already? Get it together, guys. <laughs> and so Jesus, again, points right back to Scripture. And so, of course, they've read these things. Of course, they know it. But what they're not willing to do is admit that these stories, quote, unquote, violate their Sabbath rules. And so their system has already been invalidated. And they're too busy measuring their spices to realize that Jesus' very existence nullifies their system. Because their system is based on the flawed idea that they are somehow at a higher level of spirituality because they follow their own rules more so than everyone else. And they've set themselves up in a system where they can be closer to God than Jesus because they're following the rules and he does not. That's how flawed and backward their thinking is and why they're so at Jesus in this situation. And so this quote that we see in this passage that says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus is quoting from Hosea 6. And in that passage, God's telling his people Israel that their sacrifices mean nothing when their hearts are far from him. So again, the Pharisees who supposedly study the scriptures day and night should already know this. And yet they're busy working on their spice rack and their other rules and not actually loving God, loving others, and truly following him. They're great at putting on a a good show, but all of that self-righteousness is not a sweet aroma to God. And so they specialize in judging others who are innocent in the eyes of God rather than looking inwardly at their own pride and arrogance and their sin, they're busy pointing their fingers at everyone else who are not following their rules. And so Jesus is telling them, look, guys, I'm greater than the temple. I'm greater than all of your man-made traditions. I'm greater than your system. And he's come to fulfill God's law and to obey God's law. Not their, not their law, not their rules. But he perfectly follows the law of God. And he's come to set people free from the Pharisees free from their oppression, free from all the ways that they block the people's ability to truly see who God is. 
because the people end up seeing a version of God through the lens of the Pharisees. And so they begin to interpret that, oh, well, you know, these are religious experts. And so if they're telling us that there's all these extra rules that we need to follow, well, then that's what God expects of us. And, and that's why Jesus comes along and breaks that system and says, no, 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 that's not how it works. You follow me. You listen to me. And I will uh, lead you in, in the way of life. And so everyone wanted Jesus to come in as a conqueror. Everyone was, or most people were focused on Jesus riding in to save them from the, the awful Romans and set, set them free that way. But Jesus had other plans. He wanted to, not, he wanted to instead set them free from the Pharisees, set them free from this broken system that demanded them to perform in a certain way so that God would love and accept them. So Jesus comes into all of that and he says, no, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Not this system. And so he's the son of God. If anyone's going to be setting the standard on what is and is not lawful on the Sabbath, I think it would be him. And so that's what he means by saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, because he's Lord of all things, Lord of all creation. And here's the here's the bottom line. The Pharisees promised salvation by carefully following their 640-step plan. You know, even I think for us, the three-step plan is complicated. But imagine, here's the 640 steps to be saved. But Jesus, again, he breaks through all that, and he says, I've come to offer my blood poured out for all mankind. See, the Pharisee system was all about the things that you have to do. Jesus' system is all about the things that he's done for us. And it's a very different system indeed. So these Pharisees, you know, you would hope that they would go, you know what, you're right. You know, we're, we're sorry. We're going to follow you now. But they don't go away that easy. And so our story continues. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Well, that escalated quickly. See, one of Jesus' methods when he's in conflict with them is, see, like they, bring, they like to bring a question that they can use to try to trap him. But one of Jesus' methods is turning the tables on them and say, well, let me, let me ask you a question. And then suddenly the conversation changes. But he's exposing their lack of grace and compassion because the Pharisees in this moment really could not care any less about the condition of this man. It has nothing to do with the man's shriveled hand or the fact that he may or may not be healed on the Sabbath. That's not really the point. They wanted to use him as a pawn as a way to try to trap Jesus in this, in this condition. And so in the same way they would rescue one of their sheep, Jesus was preparing to rescue this man from his physical condition. And so I want to take a moment to unpack the Pharisees' response uh, to this miracle. Again, they, they felt threatened by Jesus because he didn't fit in their neat little box. He broke their system, and they couldn't handle that. He couldn't be trapped. He couldn't be stopped. And because he was divinely perfect, there was no moral failures that they could try to trap him in. They literally had no method of stopping Jesus or slowing him down. And so they had two options in this. They could either repent and come to believe in his teachings, come to believe that, yes, he truly was the Messiah that they had long been waiting for, 
or they could permanently remove him so that life could go back to the status quo when they were unchallenged, when they were ruling the show. That's what they wanted. And so how ironic that the same scriptures they claim to study day in and day out also contain the commandment, you shall not murder. How convenient that we can overlook that because Jesus is in our way. And so they were so narcissistic that they made an assumption that the Messiah would just follow them. They are the most holy people of the land, so therefore when the Messiah comes, he'll be just like us. That was their assumption. And, of course, Jesus did not fit in with that. And so since Jesus didn't follow the rules, he had to go. And here's the best part, is Jesus was fully aware of their plot the entire time. He was fully aware of what was going on, what was coming, because he knew his ultimate mission was not just to walk around the countryside teaching and doing miracles, which is all part of it, but his ultimate mission was to end up on a cross and then rise again so that we would have hope and eternal life through him. That was his mission. And so really the Pharisees were just playing their part in making that happen. And as we'll soon see in a few weeks, that resulted in his death on a cross, just as he was supposed to do. And so this conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees, it has several applications for us today. So we've shared many times uh, from the stage here that restoration exists in a post-Christian community and a very post-Christian nation. And so this means that over time, the gap between what the Bible teaches and the direction of our society, that gap is going to get wider and wider over time. And so naturally, this can breed a lot of conflict. And so as we look at this, as we think about this, there can definitely be times of temptation where we're tempted to just assimilate and blend in and say, well, we can't beat them, so we'll join them. There's a temptation of that. There's a temptation on the other side, the the fight side of the equation, to where we go in a culture war with guns blazing and trying to force people to agree with us. And neither one of those options is the way that Jesus dealt with conflict, especially with the Pharisees. And so this is not really just about how we as a corporate church will respond to our society, but it's also how each one of us individually engage with our family, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, how we engage in social media. All these things play into it. And so, you know, think about Jesus and the way that he would have dinners with tax collectors and sinners and a host of other people that the Pharisees just would never go near because mm, we can't associate with them. But Jesus did. But he didn't go there to endorse them. He didn't go there to condemn them. He went there to engage with them. And he was grounded in his convictions and proclaimed the truth to repent and believe in him. And he made it clear to them and to the Pharisees He's not going to abandon his mission. He wasn't going to abandon his mission and join the Pharisees. But he's also not going to go out of his way to fight them either. And so he inserted himself in the middle and standing his ground with them. And, and he invites us to do much the same. And so I'll invite the band forward as we continue looking at this further. And inserting ourselves in the sandals of the Pharisees. So, again, it's quite easy to fall in the trap the Pharisees did by trying to put Jesus in a box of their own design. It's easy for us to do the same. It's easy for us to design a box that Jesus follows our script and does things our way. That's a a very easy Jesus to follow (laughs) because he often agrees with us. But that's just not the reality of our situation, and that's a very good thing. Because each time we try to contain Jesus in a box and we play God, It never works. 
And so the two options we have in life are to surrender all that we have, all that we are, to him, believing that he is our true source of joy and hope, believing that he alone is the pathway to eternal life through his death and resurrection. Or the alternative is we set ourselves up as Lord over our lives and reject him and do whatever we want. Those are our options. There is no middle ground. It's either A or B. And so each one of us have to make that choice. Will Jesus be Lord over our lives or will he not? And so we trust God to uh, grow us and mold us in powerful ways when we throw away the box. So, again, the safe way is to try to keep Jesus in a box and contain him, that he does things our way. But the blessing and the benefit comes when we throw that box away and allow him to truly do his work in our lives. God doesn't care about your spice rack. He's far more concerned about making us like Jesus so that we reflect him to the world. Let's pray. God, thank you for this teaching that we read today. Thank you for the way that you modeled for us how to engage those that oppose us, those that disagree with us. Help us to model you more uh, to those around us, to be mindful of how we engage uh, with the world. Because how we engage with the world is almost as important as the message that we share. So Lord, use us in those ways. Lord, use us to powerfully reach our community, reach the world through you. And Lord, also I pray that you would give us boldness and faith that we may throw the box away and instead trust you to fully do your work in and through us. It's your great name that we pray. Amen.